covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. We do welcome you into another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Thanks so much for being tuned in. Happy All-Star break to you as we have indeed reached the All-Star break, the unofficial halfway point of the season. So the unofficial first half is over and uh, the second half of the season is going to get started coming up uh, this week after all the All-Star festivities. Monday, the Home Run Derby, which Christian Yelich will not be participating in. Tuesday, the actual game. And then a couple days of rest on Wednesday and Thursday before the team is set to resume play at home coming up on Friday night. If you want to get in contact with me, best way to do so is finding me on Twitter, at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. Uh, this week's podcast, a little bit different. I kind of talked about this uh, last week, uh, last week and this week are not going through our normal format that we uh, generally do where we have our social media conversation and are down the farm and the headlines of the week and everything. Uh, we are taking this week's podcast and making it more just sort of a focus on the first half of the season. Now, a lot of what happened in the last week kind of illustrates or is a microcosm of some things that happened during the course of the first half of the season. So we talk a lot about this past week like normal, but we are calling it our uh, our All-Star Break Special Edition, looking back at the first half of the season. Adam Rigg from the Brewer Nation, he is set to join us coming up later on as uh, that will be technically our social media conversation. He is our featured guest this week, and uh, he'll give us his thoughts on the way things are going. Um, so <laughs> The Brewers are not playing great baseball. Uh, anybody who tells you the Brewers are playing great baseball, uh, they're, they're not telling you the truth. And as the season has gone along, I've I have focused more on the Brewers and their relation to first place, whether they're in first place, whether they're a little bit behind, they're a half game back as uh, we go into the All Star break. And I'm from a from a perspective of them still being in position to accomplish everything that they want to accomplish the Brewers are in perfectly good shape you'll take being a half game back in the division that is a very very good place to be at this point in time that being said they haven't played great baseball they're three games over 500 at 47 and 44 Uh, their winning percentage is 516 I don't think a 516 winning percentage three games above 500. I don't think that's going to produce a playoff team this year in the National League. I don't know what's going to happen in the National League Central. This division is its just crazy. Four and a half games separate first place from last place. Three games in the loss column separate first place from last place. It is a division that has just been weird, good, competitive. I think the only thing that I would lament about this division is I think the second place team in the Central is going to be better than the second place team in the National League East and the second place team in the National League West. And I'm not convinced that the National League Central will get more than one team into the postseason this year. The problem being the division is just eating each other up. The fact that you play so many divisional games, so you've got the 19 games against all these divisional teams, 
there's no Miami Marlins in the division. There's no New York Mets in the division. There's no San Francisco Giants in the division. And that's that's an advantage that teams in the East and teams in the West have when they're trying to pad their win totals for wildcard positioning and they're going against teams in the NL Central. It's it's not equal scheduling. It's not balanced scheduling. You play teams in your division so much that when your division has five good teams, and I think four really good teams with all I know the Pirates just took two out of three from the Brewers. I know the Pirates lead the Reds by two games. The Reds are four and a half back in the division. The Pirates are two and a half back. With all due respect to the Pittsburgh Pirates, I still think they're the worst of it, the worst team in the National League Central. So you look at you look at all these teams that have an opportunity to fight for the postseason, and it's I I didn't see it going down this way. I mean, we can you can go back to the archives if you want, and you can hear me talking about how I think the National League Central is going to be the division that could very easily have three teams in into the postseason, and I guess that could still happen. But the more I think about it and the more I look at the situation, that's going to be tougher when every single team in the division is pretty good because of what it's going to be like playing those teams so many times over and over and over. So I, I don't know how it's going to work out. I do think I do think that's worth watching because the Brewers could end up being, you know, if the Cubs win the division or if the Reds win the division or if the Cardinals win the division, the Brewers could very easily be the fourth best team in the National League in in reality, but not have the fourth best record and therefore miss the postseason. You know, the the old Bill Parcells quote about you are what your record is, I, I agree with that like ninety nine percent of the time. I think this is one of those weird situations with the way the Central is going to play out that perhaps you are not what your record is. I don't think the Reds are a below five hundred team. They're forty one and forty six. I mean, they're they're plus twenty seven in run differential. They're a good team. There is very there's very little reason for them to be under five hundred, and you can trace that back to a really really slow start that they had. And you get past their first ten games and look at what they've done since then. They've played above five hundred baseball. But even if you get rid of that, I don't I still don't think they're a below five hundred team yet. They are forty one and forty six. The Brewers needed this break. One hundred percent, they needed the break. Uh, they had not played especially good at baseball here over the last month, and it just—they needed it. It's for whatever reason they have been unable to really string anything together and go on the kind of run that you would have liked to have seen them go on. Now, there's been moments. There's been a moment here and a moment there where they've been able to play some pretty good baseball. You look at the first couple weeks of the season, they played some pretty good baseball. You look at that uh, period when they were playing the Mets in Washington in early May, they were able to string some wins together. But as far as that you know, really long winning streak, they really have not had the chance to do that. Or I say it's a chance, like they haven't done that. They haven't. They they just haven't done that yet. And. If they can do that in the second half, the NL Central might be determined by the team that goes on the best run in the second half, no matter who it ends up being. And you'd like to see it be the Brewers, and you get the sense that they've got the ability to do that. Now, is this team going to continue to look the way it looks now moving forward? That's a big question. That's a big question. 
And one of the frustrations, I'm going to talk about this with, uh, with Adam Rigg coming up in just a few minutes during our featured conversation. One of the frustrating things about this team is how they've been inconsistent in different areas. At one point in time, it's starting pitching that's not very good. At one point in time, it's relief pitching that's struggling. At another point in time, it's the hitting that goes down the drain. And then there's also these periods where all of those areas or some of those areas are doing a nice job starting pitching on a good run. We've seen that recently. Going into the All-Star break, starting pitching for the most part had been performing pretty well. Adrian Hauser had a rough start, but other than that, the final 10 or so starts were at least okay. There were no, like, Adrian Hauser was the only guy who had a bad start in there. Maybe they weren't really good starts, quality starts, whatever you want to be, but in terms of bad starts, there was only one for a somewhat extended amount of time. So starting pitching seems to be on an uptick while hitting has been struggling recently. Uh, the, the only thing I really think for sure will happen is I think the Brewers will add to the bullpen before the deadline. It's just something that David Stearns has done each of these last two seasons while the Brewers have been in contention. That seems to be something he is very, very willing to do. And sometimes the cost of going and getting a relief pitcher is something that you can handle a little bit more than the cost of going and getting a starting pitcher or the cost of being able to go and get a big bat. So I would think that if there's if there's only going to be a move or two, relief pitching to me seems like the area that is going to uh, that is going to be addressed most certainly. Not that they can't go get a bat, not that they can't go get a starting pitcher, but I just feel like they are. I would I would be very surprised if if we get past the trade deadline and they have not brought in a relief pitcher. I will be talking on this podcast about how absolutely surprised I am that it ended up going down that way. Uh, the The Brewers have gotten a little bit of an uptick recently from one individual. Actually, I ran the numbers on this and I tweeted it out. There's a pretty good chance that you saw the tweet uh, if you're listening to this. I was Jesus Aguilar had a really big last three games where he hits three home runs over the course of the last uh, three games uh, in the Sunday contest. He hit a couple home runs. So I ran, I looked at his day-by-day, and I, I traced back to kind of the moment where it started to turn because he's been, he's been hitting a little bit better recently. It didn't feel like he'd been hitting a ton better, but it, it felt like he'd been hitting a little bit better. So I went back, and I was going through his day-by-day, and I kind of identified June 6th as the moment where the numbers shift a little bit. And I think you might be surprised, if you didn't see the tweet, if this is new to you, I think you might be surprised by uh, some of the numbers for Jesus Aguilar. Since June 6th, he has played in 26 games. He has a 340 average during that time, 340 has an on-base at 426, has a slugging percentage of 638, and has an OPS of 1,064. Those are all pretty good numbers, and it's good to see him really starting to turn around. That's over, I mean, that's about a month there. Uh, not all the games did he start. You know, I think the at-bats was 47, if I remember correctly. So 26 games, 47 at-bats. There's some uh, there's some walks in there, so those don't count as at-bats. Uh, didn't, didn't count the plate appearances. But you get the idea that he's at least starting to turn things a bit. Can he keep it going after the All-Star break? Of everybody on the team, there's only one player that I kind of wish it wasn't the All-Star break, 
and it's Jesus Aguilar. I think the rest of the team needs it. Aguilar is the one guy who kind of seems to be finding himself. So I, I, I now's not the time for him to take four days off, but he doesn't have any control on that. He'll take the four days, and we'll see what he looks like coming up on Friday when they do uh, when they do return. Christian Yelich, I thought I thought the the, the last week of the social media reaction to Christian Yelich was really interesting because he says that he's going to participate in the home run derby. What do people do? They freak out. Oh, he's going to mess up his swing. Oh, he's hurt. He shouldn't be doing this. Why are why are the Brewers even allowing him to do this? So I think a lot of people saw some of the articles that were written that kind of debunked the idea that the home run derby does mess with your swing. The one thing that I thought was a legit concern on that was the back. You know, when people brought up uh, when people brought up it was going to mess up his swing, I kind of dismissed that. When people brought up, "Hey, he's had some back issues this year. Are we sure this is the smartest thing for him to do?" That I that I acknowledged as a legit question. And that legit question ended up playing out on Sunday where we learned that he had to remove himself from the home run derby. Evidently, on Saturday, either during the game or just after the game, he started to feel some back spasms, and they made the decision for him not to uh, participate in the home run derby. I did kind of have to chuckle because on Sunday morning when the lineup came out and Yelich wasn't in it, there were a lot of people who were just freaking the you-know-what out that Yelich was not in there. How in the world can Craig Council, how in the world can the Brewers allow Christian Yelich to go be in the home run derby, to be in the all-star game, but they're they're making sure he's healthy for that but, and rested for that by not playing him and he's getting two off days in the course of a week? And then as the day went along, I think people started to see, okay, there was more to this. He's dealing with some back spasms. He needed a day off from that, and the day was more connected to the back spasms than anything else. Uh, and kind of people put the daggers down for, for just a moment. But a, a bummer. I was excited to see what Yelich could do. You know, Yelich is such a different kind of hitter. So many home run balls right now, but launch angle is a huge deal right now. And from a launch angle perspective, Yelich doesn't have much of one on his swing. He has a very flat swing that he just hits the ball incredibly hard, and he hits it so hard that he hits a bunch of home runs. It's not that he's so much lofting the ball. I mean, he does loft the ball, clearly. Uh, but it's the swing is not changed for him to be able to do that. There's not a big launch angle on it for him to do it. And I, I was just wondering how that was going to play out in the All-Star uh, Home Run Derby. And we're not going to see that. He did say if he gets an opportunity to do it again in the future, he absolutely would take it. He did do a practice round. I do kind of quietly wonder to myself, and it's not that quietly because I'm saying it on a podcast, but I do wonder to myself, he took a practice round in Pittsburgh where I guess he hit 21 home runs, I think, in the period. Lots of swings. I do wonder if that was maybe the catalyst or the first domino of him back of his back getting a little bit achy. But you know what? That's, that's a better thing to experience there because if he goes and participates in the home run derby and he starts swinging it like that 
and his back starts to act up and he wins in that first round, there's less of a chance of him pulling himself out at that point and saying, I can't continue on. You know, In the middle of the heat of competition, you're probably not going to just say, okay, I'm done. So probably a blessing. If, if that practice round had anything to do with him uh, not participating in the home run derby, I, I would say that is a blessing in disguise that it happened then and it did not actually happen during the derby. The fun story on this was that uh, his, one of his home run balls actually broke the window on a boat that was sitting in the Allegheny River. And the owner of that boat actually called the police because all these baseballs were coming at his boat and he thought somebody was like throwing them at his boat or something and he did not realize that they were actually home run balls from uh, Christian Yelich. So that's that's a fun part of, uh, of that story. Another fun thing that happened this past week, Mauricio Dubon, he gets called up. I don't know what's going to happen with Dubon moving forward. The Brewers are going to have a decision to make come Friday because they're not going to play a man down in the bullpen. And they sent a bullpen pitcher, Burt Smith, down to make room for Mauricio Dubon for one game. Smith wasn't going to pitch that next day because he had pitched multiple innings uh, the day before. And they made that decision when Orlando Arcia and Keston Hira uh, collided with each other. But both those guys are okay. So... You got one of your top prospects, you bring him up. Generally, you don't bring up one of the top prospects in the organization for one at bat. That's what he got. He was a pinch hitter in the game on Sunday. I would think that Dubon will get the opportunity to stick around for at least a little bit. So maybe that means Tyler Saladino is sent back down. I don't know. I I never like... I hate doing what I just did where I speculate about players getting sent down because I I always remember, I know I say this a lot, but I think it's a good thing to remember. Sometimes we look at baseball players and athletes in general as these machines without emotions. They're they're human beings, and I'm not saying these guys listen to this podcast. They probably don't. I'm pretty sure they don't. Uh, But if they did, I I wouldn't want Tyler Saladino listening to this uh, podcast and saying, ah, some, some... some guy who talks about us is saying maybe I'm going to sit down. Like he's got, there's enough pressures on their life where they don't need to hear people speculating about who's going to get sent down. I realize it's part of baseball, it's a business, yada yada yada. I just try to avoid that stuff as much as possible. So an interesting first half. I think uh, a lot of frustrated Brewers fans, a lot of frustrated Brewers fans, do not think that the team played as well as it could have played. I think that's fair. I think the frustrations are valid. The team is only three games above 500. You look at a team that got to Game 7 of the NLCS last year and brought back some key pieces, added some pieces. Uh, There was the expectation that they would play better than this. They haven't. We can continue to look at the fact that they're only a half game back in the division, but you know at least one team is going to go on a run in the second half. Cubs are a good team, Cardinals are a good team, Reds are a good team, and the Pirates are not a bad team. One of these, if not multiple teams, are going to go on a run, and the Brewers need to be ready to be that team or be able to answer. You know, last year, they were able to answer a run. The Cubs went on a bit of a run, and the Brewers were able to answer that run. It's, you know, you answer runs inside of a game, and you answer runs outside of the game when teams go on uh, go on runs and win a bunch of games in a row. We'll see. We will see. It's going to be an interesting second half. This is, uh, I, I said this the other day, just feels like there was a lot of stuff in the first half. You know, over a 162-game baseball season, it's a journey. It is a journey 
twists and turns and ups and downs and, and everything in between. But for me, I just feel like there's been more stuff that's gone on this year in the first half. And a lot of that has to do with the struggles of Travis Shaw and Jesus Aguilar, but the fan reaction to Shaw and wanting Keston here, just everything. There's just been a lot of stuff. Jimmy Nelson, a lot of stuff has happened in the first half. It has not exactly been calm waters for the Brewers in the first half of the season, and uh, they are hopeful to get to that point. Uh, five All-Stars for the Brewers. Christian Yelich still hopeful as I record this on Sunday night. Yelich is hopeful that he will be able to play in the All-Star game, even though he had to bow out of the home run derby. Mike Moustakis, yes, Monty Grandal, they are in the All-Star game. Brandon Woodruff was a late addition this past week. Josh Hader is going, but he is not going to be on the active roster. They're a little bit concerned about his health, so they would just rather him not pitch in the All-Star game. So he'll take part in all the festivities. He is still an All-Star. The Brewers do have five All-Stars this year. That ties the record that they set last year for most All-Stars in a single season. And... That's that's another part of this. Craig Council made it really clear in his post-game media conference on Sunday after they uh, wrapped up the pre-All-Star break portion of the season. Uh, he didn't mince words. His point that he was making was they have to get more production f- throughout the 25-man roster. That that's the, that's the one thing, that is the single most important thing for the Brewers in the second half of the season is the ability to get more production 1 through 25. They've got fantastic production from a few guys. That's why they have so many All-Stars. They have played at an All-Star level. But too many guys have underperformed. They have not gotten the production from 1 through 25 that they want. And when Craig Council was asked on Sunday, what's he looking for in the second half of the season, that's what he identified. He wants more production 1 through 25, and it not just be a situation where the team is being led by a handful of guys. All right, well, we've got coming up our feature conversation with Adam Rigg here in just a moment. It is our All-Star Break edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast is powered by WTMJ Mobile. It is time for a social media conversation. We bring on Adam Rigg, also known as the Brewer Nation. Adam, it is uh, good to talk to you. This is our All-Star Break special, and I think we've had you on this one uh, fairly consistency, I think. I'm not 100% sure, but nonetheless, uh, glad to have you uh, on the program today and uh, encourage everybody to uh, follow you on Twitter, at Brewer Nation. How are you doing? Uh, doing pretty well. Thanks for having me back on the podcast. It's always a pleasure to chat baseball for a little bit. But no, it's it's nice. The the weekend uh, came. It was a little bit of a break from the humidity here in the last couple of days. So I'm I'm doing pretty good. Let's start with kind of some of the the news and notes from this past week, and we'll start with Christian Yelich. Uh, he is not going to participate in the home run derby. Just I I'm not trying to take shots at people here. It's probably going to sound like I am. But I'm not. I'm really not trying to. The entire like timeline of from the moment we found out Christian Yelich was going to be in the home run derby to finding out he wasn't. You know, it starts with the people freaking out about him being in the home run derby. Then there's the discussion: should he do it with his back? Is it going to mess up his swing? And then he takes he gets a day off. 
Then he gets another day off, and people are really freaking out about him getting that second day off. And then it turns out he did tweak his back, and he's pulling out of the home run derby. He was never going to do anything during the all-star festivities that were going to hurt his ability to help the Brewers, but there seemed to be a general distrust of the whole situation. Yeah, that's that's a fair way to put it. I think there was a lot of commentary, of course, about this fallacy of the home run derby screws with people and oh my goodness look at how bad of a second half all these you know home run hitters have after the derby and yes there's always a case or two of a guy who had an amazing first half became an all-star or got invited to the home run derby and then the league made their adjustments and then their second half wasn't so good like Casey Aguilar last year is obviously the most ready example for Brewers fans and he did he had a monster first half although to be fair he was already cooling off before the all-star break people tend to forget that um, he had a week 10 days or so of uh, his already cool down was, was coming I think uh, and then he, he did he wasn't great the second half and everybody of course thought this year maybe we'll get something in the middle of those two halves and we, we see that we haven't gotten that yet but back to the point everybody sees his second half and says oh my goodness it's obviously the home run derby's fault. And then, of course, in that case, you look at Jesus Aguilar was in the derby for five minutes for one round. <laughs> he hit a couple of home runs. How could it possibly have affected him anyway? So, yeah, you start there, and everybody's freaking out about Yelich, and Yelich has to go out of his way to post on his own social media, hey, you know, I'm going to be just fine. You guys need to not worry about it. I think I know my body a little bit better than you guys do, that kind of a thing. Uh, so, yeah, people like to freak out when there's something that they can easily – you know, kind of latch onto. Uh, typically, it's the day-to-day, inning-by-inning kind of game flow that people like to latch onto. But in this case, it was something that they they've been conditioned to fear uh, because a few guys, yes, have had bad second halves after a derby. So I don't know. It, it is what it is at this point, and it, it's probably better for all parties involved that Yelts know, doesn't participate. Uh, I, and I'm telling, and I know the Brewers have said differently. But in my opinion, when Yelich bunted in the extra inning game against the Reds, and then of course had the next day off, and they said, "No, it's just a regular maintenance day," I felt at that time he tweaked his back during that game. That's the only reason he would have bunted in that situation. Uh, they have said differently, and you know you have to kind of go with what they say until they say different. But it, it seems to fit the timeline, like you said, uh, bunts in, in, inexplicably, then has a day off, has another day off, pulls out of the derby, etc. So it seems to be following along that trend. So hopefully, like you said, he gets his rest. If he's able to start the All-Star game, maybe get one at bats, uh, leave a little bit earlier than most guys would. But you get the honor of being the All-Star game starter, uh, which we heard counsel say that, you know, that's not something just to sneeze at. You know, this yeah. is something to take seriously. And, and that's why he supports him doing it still. Um, but you do that, you get out of there, you get a couple of days of R&R. Bruce don't play again until Friday. And yeah, hopefully Yelich can just hit the second half healthy um, because if he's healthy, he's going to produce. I don't know if he re-injured his back or tweaked his back in that Cincinnati game that you made reference to, but I do think it's important to note one other aspect of that was he, he showed bunt, and then he also, that was not a great throw from right field. I think Eric right. Thames should have picked it, but it was not a good throw, and he was the one who had the air assessed on him. So you combine the bunt, 
with the bad throw and the day off the next day. To me, maybe the back did tweak, but at the very least, I think we could see, okay, here's a guy who's been run as far as he can be run, and he needs a day. And and Craig Council, I think he used the term, you know, getting up to that red line uh, where you don't want to go over it. And he pushed to that red line last year when he sat out that Cubs game that everybody freaked out about. And they, you know, they so – I've always said – if they really feel like him going out and playing in a game risks injury, why would any Brewers fan want him to play in that game? 100%. You're, I, I completely agree with that sentiment. They're, these guys, unfortunately, uh, on the fan side of things, all we can do is look at a guy and say, well, he's not on the injured list. Um, I want him playing. Why isn't he playing? He's a professional athlete. He needs to be playing. And there's just so much going on behind the scenes in the clubhouse that even the media is not privy to. I mean, like we, we say, you know, we who knew that Braun had a knee injury right. until the other day when he revealed it? You know, so there, there's stuff that they keep completely quiet, completely in-house. Uh, David Stearns' front office, Doug Melvin before him as well, but David Stearns' front office is notoriously tight-lipped on, on many issues. Uh, they're very good about keeping the secrets that they feel they need to keep. Uh, so there's so much going on all the time, so much physical maintenance and just day-to-day grind type stuff that we just we don't hear about. And yes, fans overreact, and there's you know it, that's how sports fandom works in, in a in part anyway, because you know we want the guys playing that we want to see playing. But exactly, these guys know when Ryan Braun needs a day off because his knee's swollen up, whether we know his knee is swollen up or not. You know they know that he needs a day off when Lorenzo Cain. You know, it was, if his legs get tired because he's been playing for two months straight and he needs a day off, give him a day off. If it's before we knew about the thumb injury, you know, that's obviously why he got a couple of extra days off than he normally would. So we just people need to relax a little bit, I think, and and just trust the fact that the team knows more than we do, and they always will know more than we do. And you know, sometimes there's reasons that they just don't want to share. Brendan Woodruff gets added to the All Star roster. I was. So the thing that has stood out to me maybe the most about Woodruff this year, it's not how he's pitched because he's pitched incredibly well, but it's kind of the next domino that's pushed down. There have been multiple times this year where quotes, cuts from the from the opposing clubhouse have been so just amazingly positive about what Woodruff, how he's able to pitch, and it just seems like nobody wants to face him, and I, I think that speaks volumes. I'm really glad that he's been honored with an all-star appearance because I think he he's uh, he deserves it. I, I agree, and you can point to any number of different metrics to, to justify it. Some people love the 10 wins, uh, at least at most recently, he was tied for the league lead in that category. Um, he's got a, a pretty decent ERA, especially in this offensive environment that the, the baseballs are creating these days. Um, a number of advanced metrics support his case for all the all-star candidacy. Um, so it, it's good that he's there, I think. And he really has worked hard. Um, he's the type of guy who, as he's really, he was still finding his way, I think, early in the season, which just goes to show you the types of games that he's been able to put together. He's got, uh, what is it, 13 decisions out of his 18 starts, if I'm remembering correctly. So he's pitching deep into most games. He's around for whether or not it's going to be his fault that the game is won or lost. So that's a testament to something that we're seeing less and less of in baseball these days is guys going deep enough into games to, to factor in the decisions as much as he has. So he really has helped steady things. 
Um, as he's rounded into form here this season, uh, he's been the type of guy that they've been able to, I think, rely on and count on to help end a losing streak or to at least give them a good outing, give the bullpen a break, and kind of reset things and, and make the team better, at, not only during his starts, but then immediately thereafter. And, and that's an important thing for an all-star pitcher to be able to do, an all-star caliber type pitcher to be able to do. Um, and that's something that the Brewers have sorely lacked in, in a lot of their starting pitching this season. Uh, you know, Chessine isn't having the year that he had last year by any stretch. Um, Davies has been great, uh, especially after coming off the injury that kept him down most of last year. But they've had struggles. You know, they counted on a couple of young guys that didn't pan out. You know, we can go through the whole litany here. I don't know if we're turning this into a full first-half recap show or not, but uh, the, the point being Woodruff has, I think, earned his way. Um, he overcame kind of a, a slowish start. I mean, his, his April numbers were in the RA over five, uh, and he's, he rebounded and had a beautiful month of May. And, you know, he's been kind of a little bit up and down since, but um, finishing strong here in the first half, and hopefully he's a guy that can help the Brewers kind of bear down as the season goes on now, and he's he's got enough of that experience and enough time here already, even for as young as he is, given what he did last year, uh, making a couple of spot starts late, uh, going into the playoffs. I think he's hopefully the type of guy that they can lean on a little bit here as the, the summer continues and, and they find themselves uh, battling in a very tough division. As the first half went along, I focused more on the standings. They're in first place. They're a half game. Like right now, they're a half game out as we're talking on Sunday night, and we'll be going into uh, the when they resume play coming up on Friday. Now that we have reached the all-star break, not that I'm not looking at the standings because clearly those are still very important and the Brewers are right where they want to be and still have every opportunity to accomplish what they want to accomplish this year, but I think it's a good time to take a step back and look at some of the other numbers. And the other two numbers in the uh, in the standings are 47 and 44 is their record, so that's three games above 500, and that's a 516 winning percentage. I think they can't play three games above 500, can't play to a 516 winning percentage and be a postseason team. I think they have to play better in the second half. Would you agree with that? Without question. Um, you know, it's been <laughs> mentioned to me numerous times, especially on social media, how the Brewers are only a half game out of first place only because the Cubs have played bad and the Cardinals have played bad and the the Reds and Pirates, well, they're playing okay, but they're still also playing bad. And so, yeah, they, they, the Brewers need to be better. Uh, they have to play. Uh, they need to win more of those games that they lost this first half that they won last year. A lot of those one-run games, uh, the record this year over last year is, is significantly worse in those you know kind of close contests that they've – the record has suffered for it. And they – seem to have chances to, to get fat a little bit and to, to rattle off some wins, and they're not able to answer that bell all the time uh, through inconsistency, through you know lack of performance in the different areas of the game, depending on when it is. They pitched very well in Cincinnati, for example, but they couldn't score to save their lives. Uh, you know, just one microcosm of it, of course, but you know you've you've got all three aspects of this baseball team which are good enough to be a playoff team when they're working, but they need to work a little bit more consistently and a little bit more, uh, you know, consecutively or together, I guess, uh, for a way to put it. But 
they, they need to have those cylinders firing at the same time to win more baseball games, to put themselves into that position. Because you're right, 516 winning percentage is just not enough. Um, and the Cubs, paper says they're going to be better in the second half. You know, they helped their bullpen out with Craig Kimbrell. Uh, they've got a ton of talent that, for some reason, seems to underperform lately. But they had a great run last year, uh, second half of last season. The Reds can pitch their butts off. The Pirates can hit quite a lot. Um, and those are two flawed teams, but they can still absolutely beat the Brewers and take games from them and, and take victories away. And, of course, we know all about the Cardinals. They seem to be, you know, they've got a lot of warts this year, but it's not a team that you can ever discount. And while we haven't seen them in a, quite a while now, and the Brewers won't see them again until mid-August, they're still a team that is out there battling and can absolutely again, steal victories and put this Brewers team in a, in a worse position. So it's going to be a fun race to watch, of course, uh, from the outside. But you're right. This team needs to perform better in the win-loss column uh, to have a shot at October baseball. You hit on something which I think is the most frustrating thing about this team. It's the, it's the inconsistent inconsistencies. And what I mean by that is – there was a 31-game stretch where starting pitching ERA, and 31 games isn't a small sample size. That's a that's a legit amount of games. There was a 31-game stretch where starting pitching ERA was 6.5. But then it, it rounds into form, and it rounded into form even before that 31 games. They'll go into periods. As you, you know, they, got, they went the 26 or 27, whatever it ended up being, inning straight where they didn't score, and the two straight shutouts against Cincinnati, and then all of a sudden the, the, the offense will explode. If you're David Stearns, and there are clear flaws on your team, it's a lot easier to address them. But I think the challenge going into the, the, the trading deadline is which of the challenges that they've experienced this year are real, legitimate, lasting flaws, and which ones are just part of the ebb and flow of a baseball season. Yeah, and those guys, obviously, <laughs> that's why they get paid the, the millions of dollars to make those decisions and to, to figure that kind of thing out because it is. It, it's frustrating as a fan to watch those things go on when you think – like look at Jesus Aguilar, case in point, uh, on Sunday. Big game at the plate, three for four at the dish, uh, two home runs, three RBIs, just – vintage first half Aguilar of last season. He did that how many times where he had big games, not multi-home run games, but just big offensive games uh, contributing to victories or, or even close defeats. And you see him and you've seen his struggles the vast majority of the first half of the season uh, as we lead into the All-Star game here. And you wonder, well, is it still in him? You know, is this a, a Bill Hall situation? Is this a you know, how many litany of guys in Brewers history had their one big season and then fell off the map and never to be heard from again. So that's what you really do need to, or I should say they, but that's what the front office needs to, uh, to figure out is which flaws not only are the true flaws that they need to address and need to fix, um, but how much of your prospect capital and how much of your resources you're going to spend trying to fix those things. Um, whether or not this season seems to be, it's obviously we're still in the window. They need to compete. They can't, uh, they're not going to sell, you know, they're not going to go to the other extreme. Uh, but there's also something to be said for understanding where your team is. And if they don't think 
this team is fixable in, in its current iteration in 2019, then you have to trade for controllable assets. Or you know, does that shift your focus a little bit? How do we fix these flaws? It, it's a different angle uh, where, for example, the Chicago Cubs, when they were making their World Series run the year that they won it, they identified Anita Closer uh, as, their, as the primary example that I'm going off of here. And they traded a bunch of uh, prospect capital to the Yankees before Roldis Chapman. And it worked, you know, because that's what they needed that season to make that run. Uh, and they, you know, identified the, the fix. They spent the capital to get it. And it's a good thing that it worked out for them. So, But that was a rental. And Chapman went back to the Yankees afterwards. So... Uh, is that the right type of move for this Brewers team? Can they just add an expiring contract closer? Can they add a Will Smith, uh, for example, from the Giants, who is a free agent after this year? And granted, Will Smith loved his time in Milwaukee and could possibly resign, you know, as a free agent. But is that the type of right move, or do you want to go get a starting pitcher who's got multiple years and hopefully, even if you don't think this team is probably a World Series winner this year? Uh, is this a guy who can help you for next year? You know, there's been talk of uh, looking at guys in the Detroit rotation, uh, you know, multiple-year control guys. So it's not only which flaws you need to fix, but it's how they're going to go about fixing those with both short-term and long-term implications. Uh, that's really where the, the this wizardry of putting together these decisions from the front office perspective and all the information and the math and, and the analysis and all the data and, and just – all the just just time that it takes to put all that together. Uh, that's really why these guys uh, make the money that they do because they're the ones that hopefully figure it out the right way for the Brewers. People ask me all the time if I think the team can go acquire a Max Scherzer, go acquire a Madison Bumgarner, and my answer is always they can, but I don't think they will. They have the prospects to do it, but if they make a trade like that after the Yelich trade a year and a half ago and then all the other moves they made last year – what they have left in the tank is is a whole lot less than what it is right now. It's already a somewhat depleted system. It gets that much more depleted. And as as willing as the team has been to spend money, and you commend them for Lorenzo Cain and Mike Moustakas and Yasmani Grandal be going out and spending legit money on free agents in this market, this team is still going to need to rely on homegrown talent as much as possible. So. I say they can go make that move, but I don't think they do go make that move because I think it has too much of a, a negative impact on future years. Right, yeah, it, it comes down to should they do that. You know, Should they make the move to supplement the team in, in that way with a big name that may leave and, and take his ball someplace else next season? So it is. It's, it's a high-wire type act. It's uh, high-stress, and these guys uh, – you know, like I said, hopefully they can make the right decision for the Brewers because, like you said, they probably can go out and get most anybody that they want. Um, and to hear that, most Brewers fans would say, well, why the hell don't they then? And, of course, the response is not only the analysis of should they, but what they would have to give up to make some of these deals. You know, it's significant. And I, I, I don't – I personally shy away from the word depleted and um, – I'm not saying that it's not right to use it, uh, but as far as the farm system goes, there's there's still a ton of talent, especially at the lower levels. Um, the, the system is just not as deep in high-end talent as it was, before, like you said, before the Yelich trade uh, in, in particular. 
because of the deals that they've made and, and the way that they've used their minor league assets to go and supplement the big league club, which is, of course, what the minor leagues are there for in the first place, is to make the big league club better uh, via trade or via call-up. So, but if you're talking Max Scherzer type, if you're talking Madison Bumgarner type, even on a rental, uh, if you're talking Shane Green or Will Smith or some of these other bullpen pieces that uh, should be available on the market, uh, even if you're talking, you know, go get somebody at first base like Jose Abreu or, you know, there's con- there's tons of names out there that could be on the trade market. But to get a team to part with that asset, I mean, you're talking two, three high profile, high ceiling type guys. You're probably talking like, for example, just the, the Kingfish Max Scherzer, if you, they could even sniff at that deal. You're starting with Keston Hira, with Mauricio Dubon, with uh, probably Freddie Peralta or Corbin Burns, you know, some high ceiling type profile uh, pitching guy, um, probably two, three more other pieces from the minor leagues that, you know, you don't hear a lot about that kind of thing. It's going to be a, a huge package of players going back. And then you get a guy who starts for you every fifth day and is going to be amazing and dominant, but is that the right move to make? And that's what the question comes down to is, you know, they probably could have gotten Jose Quintana from the White Sox before the Cubs got him, uh, but they would have had to add in more than Stearns thought he was worth, you know, in assets. And Quintana's pitched well against the Brewers for the most part as a Cub, but he has not helped them really in the postseason. They have not won another World Series since. They had to give up Eloy Jimenez to get him, one of the you know, the best players in the White Sox right now. So it's always that that give and take, that yin and yang of, yeah, we probably could, but is this the right move? So as we move along here in July, the only trade deadline this year, now July 31st, um, it's going to be definitely interesting to watch how Stearns decides to go about trying to fix some of these things. What's the, uh, you know, we can talk about starting pitching, we can talk about relief pitching, we can probably talk about a right-handed bat. Those are probably the three areas where at times it feels like the Brewers are lacking that. If you could only go get one of those positions and bring in an impact kind of player, which which one of those position groups would you go with? It's a good question, and for me, it's on the pitching side. Um, I think that they have, and again, is Jesus Aguilar turning it around? Is that going to be a right-handed bat? That kind of a thing. Is Keston Hira going to take off? Like he has not yet taken off, uh, to be fair. Again, he had a home run today as well on Sunday. But are those the type of guys that are going to be there for you? Um but for me, it's on the pitching side because. But I'm struggling on, on which half of it. If you add an impact starting pitcher, then perhaps Adrian Hauser can go back to your bullpen and help that out, where he's been uh, much better uh, performing. But is that the move they want to make? Do they want to put Hauser back in the bullpen at this point? Um, if you get an impact reliever, he's available more often and can help shorten games for the starting pitcher like Chase Anderson. Again, only goes four innings today. Uh, he's done that a few times since he rejoined the rotation where he doesn't pitch five. So if you get a relief pitcher, does that help you cover more of those innings that the starters are not giving you? Um, and again, a guy like uh, any sort of mid, you know, mid relief to, you know, set up to closing that range, obviously on the A side of a, of a bullpen is what you're going to get. So, but any, any point along those innings, that kind of guy would help you and could help you more often 
to save some of those innings, those tough situations that those pitchers put you in. Because, for example, Chase Anderson, again, today, didn't pitch poorly, uh, left the game with the team in a position to compete and have a chance to win. But as you get further along in the game, uh, again, this one game is an example, but Junior Guerra, who's pitched a couple of games here late, uh, gives up the three-run home run, and that's the difference in the game. So where do you want to add? And to, to pin me down as I've been kind of stalling here while my brain tries to figure it out, um, this team had a lot of success going with the bullpen route. Um, and if it's a controllable asset, I think bullpen is an easy place to add, but you're also getting bullpen, uh, a healthy bullpen piece, hopefully, and Corey Knebel back next year, who could be impact. So I guess if we're talking controllable assets, I'd probably look at a starting pitcher. Um, but if it's a rental type, I think bullpen is, is probably the way you can get the most impact for your dollar. I would think that, uh, to me, we've seen, you know, I look at track records, and David Stearns has a track record of finding bullpen help. Two years ago, when and got Anthony Swarzak this past year, being able to go get uh, a Cedeno, a Soria. I, I, I fully expect him to make some sort of bullpen move. Yeah, it seems like it. He, he's had a knack for that. And even at the end of spring training, too, he's been able to find guys that scarred and that have been contributors, if not long-term contributors, certainly um, guys that help out for uh, however long that they're in town before they kind of hit that wall, which got them released in the first place. Uh, but no, he, he's got a knack for, I think, finding bullpen help. So it's something that whether or not he adds elsewhere too, I absolutely expect him to, um, to add in the bullpen for sure. I think something that doesn't get talked about enough which is impact, and I'm not trying to be negative about this team because, as we've alluded to, they're in perfectly good position right now because of what's happened in the division. But I think something that doesn't get talked about quite enough is last year the Brewers did the thing where they were always bringing people up from AAA, and those pitchers that they would bring up, relief pitchers, they were contributors. And this year it seems like those guys that are being brought up, you know, Birch Smith is the most recent one. Before that was uh, Dale Gare, whether it's a, a Jay Jackson, uh, all these. I mean, there's been a, a, just a, a gaggle of relief pitchers that have been up and down or up and gone and everything. It doesn't seem like that depth that was there last year is there this year. Yeah, I think you're right about that. And some of that, of course, is some of those guys that were impact last year stuck. And there's not they're not on the shuttle bus anymore this season. Um, but even even a guy like Aaron Wilkerson, um, I think he performed a little bit better in his call ups last year when he was the guy going back and forth. Hauser had uh, a couple of times on that bus as well. So I think some of those guys are here. Uh, Corbin Burns is of course the biggest example. He came up and just flat out dominated once he joined the team. And, and he, of course, has been on the struggle bus uh, first parts of the season as opposed to the, the shuttle bus. But they are, I think, they added a handful of these veteran-type guys uh, taking flyers, if you will, at the AAA level. And I think that some of those guys have performed well down there, haven't had as much success up here, that kind of a thing. You're right, but uh, I, I don't know exactly – the right way to respond. I mean, they, they need to get better production out of those guys that, that they're calling on to help out. I mean, Dale Esquerra comes up and can't get three outs before giving up four runs, and that's that's a mess. Uh, he got DFA'd the very next day, of course, uh, designated for assignment, 
because you have to be able to trust a guy in that situation to, to not completely blow things like he almost did before they, you know, switched out the reliever and then, then junior Garrett gave up a home run to tie it. So yeah, they, they need to get better production there and getting better production out of that spot, especially if it's a guy that they can find, they could add to that ace out of the bullpen or even a guy that, I mean, Bert Smith came in and was just trying to finish off that game, but he still gave up a bunch of runs and, you know, put strain on himself and eventually, the type of guy who wasn't going to be available. So he was the easy guy to send out for Dubon to cover the Arcia injury. So, you know, these guys, they need to, they need to find more consistent contributors uh, to take up those last spots on the Fortnite roster. I'll get you out of here on this. You brought up Mauricio Dubon. And uh, I just want to talk about that for a little bit because we, the Orlando Arcia injury, I think most of us thought he was going to end up on the injured list. He doesn't. You're not going to bring Dubon up not to play May you know Tyler Saladino has not been great. He's been okay. Uh, he he picked up a hit in the ninth inning on Sunday, but I mean he's hitting below hundred. It's it, he hasn't been good, uh, especially at the plate. But it hasn't been much of an opportunity for him either. I I don't feel like they would bring up Mauricio Dubon for one game and then send him back down. But I they're going to refill that roster spot with a with a pitcher but they're not going to play a man down in the bullpen that's just not the way they do things so i what do you think that roster move is going to look like coming up uh, before they return to play coming up on friday yeah that's uh that's a good question um assuming like i think every prediction or analysis in baseball has to be health dependent you know you can't anything can change at the drop of a dime if you know, I don't know, uh, God forbid Eric Thames breaks his toe on vacation over the next few days. You know, any, anything can, any health change can uh, really, really mess up the plan, so to speak. But like I said, they're probably going to want that bullpen piece back. Uh, Council seems to prefer um, that type of uh, makeup to the 25-man roster to have that extra relief pitcher. Um but what do you do? I mean, Jacob Barnes has been up and down. He's hasn't been super consistent, but he's got good stuff when he is on. He seems to be a guy that can hopefully uh, find his way and help contribute to this team. Um, Donnie Hart, you know, take a little bit of extra pressure off Claudio, who's really responded well after his tough stretch. Uh, but Hart pitched well for the Brewers when he was up here. Um, like Trey Supak would be making a major league debut, but he's pitched well. I'm just thinking about guys in the 40 man roster right now. Yeah. Uh, Taylor Williams has struggled hard when he's been up with the big league club this season. Um, maybe give him another shot. It, it's, but it's, that's the, the part of the problem. It's, it's like what we said before. Uh, there's just whoever's been in that position, it's been rotating, but like last year it was, okay, you've been pitching well, oh, you had a long outing, you're not going to be available for a couple of days, let's get a fresh arm in here. And that the whole, and that fresh arm has been performing well too. Lately, at least, this season, it's been, all right, we'll try this guy, ooh, that didn't go well. Okay, we'll try this guy, ooh, that didn't go well either. All right, how about we try this guy? Okay, that, you know, it's, it's been a different reason, I think, for the, the, the shuttle back and forth. So, like I said, I mean, those are the guys that are out there. Um, you know, eventually, this season, you would hope maybe a Brent Suter gets healthy enough, uh, gets to rehab, uh, you know, a rehab assignment and gets through that. Um, obviously, when you have Joe Gonzalez hopefully coming back healthy, maybe when he rejoins the rotation, Adrian Hauser goes back to the bullpen, and then that last roster spot has a little bit 
you know, it gets shored up a little bit. But for now, I think you just you try to keep finding the, the right guy at the right time, um, which they have not had as much luck with this year as last. He is Adam Rigg. You can uh, follow him on Twitter at the Brewer Nation. Adam, give a plug for what uh, people can get from you content-wise. Uh, well, on Twitter at Brewer Nation, what I, I tend to do is I follow along most of the games, kind of give live reactions. Um, I would say 95% of the games uh, I'll be watching live every now and then. I've got family responsibilities, but um, but I try to give you know in in the in the moment analysis, um, reaction to stuff. A little bit of a not play play by play, but in case you can't watch the game, uh, you can get updates uh, by just scrolling back on my timeline and seeing the big moments of the game. Uh, but then more so than that, it's there for discussion after the fact and before the fact. We talk lineup decisions, uh, roster moves. Uh, you know the way guys are playing. Why are they sticking with Travis Shaw for so long? Why isn't Keston Hira called up? All that kind of stuff that baseball fans, you know, the old water cooler talk. That's kind of what Twitter is these days uh, for a lot of us. So uh, I try to respond to everything that I see, um, unless it's the same people always complaining about the same stuff. I, I tend to <laughs> let those go after a while. Uh, but I, I like the social part of social media. So if anybody's looking for an outlet to vent or just somebody that they're trying to bounce ideas off of or, or learn a little bit more about the rules of the game, you know, I have people that ask me, why isn't this like this? And I say, well, it's because of this rule, that kind of a thing. Uh, you know, just trying to, to share my love of baseball and, uh, you know, not grow the game. You know, that's the wrong way to put it. But you just try to make more more baseball fans, more casual baseball fans into more, you know, kind of lifelong baseball fans. Uh, any any kind of games like that way, it's, uh, it's a good day for me on Twitter. So, uh, but again, yeah, I'm out there and if people want to follow uh, or at least just interact or even just, you know, get the content that I'm, uh, I'm throwing out there. I, I share links from articles on the beat writers, uh, most of the beat writers that, uh, the post stuff, some of that stuff's behind paywall. I get that. Um, but I try to share information as I find it and you know, kind of keep people informed. He is Adam Rigg from the Brewer Nation. Follow him at Twitter, at Brewer Nation. Adam, great stuff as always. We'll get you on again real soon. All right, Matt. We'll talk then. Adam Rigg joining us here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. It is the All-Star break. Brewers get a few days off. The uh, All the All-Star festivities like the Home Run Derby, which again, Christian Yelich will not be participating in, and things like that will be going on uh, Monday. The, the festivities actually getting started uh, this past Sunday night uh, with the Futures game, but Monday is the Home Run Derby. Tuesday is the actual game. Game is scheduled to start at 6.30 Central. No action on Wednesday and Thursday and then the Brewers will get back at it coming up on Friday. They are going to open up the unofficial second half of the season by playing six games at home against a not-so-tough team and then a pretty tough team. They'll play the Giants for three, and then they'll play the Braves for three. I've said on this podcast before, I I think I said on this podcast, if I didn't say it on this podcast, I said it on the radio on WTMJ, that I was not really a believer in the Atlanta Braves. I don't feel that way anymore. They've they've proven it. You know, I've always said young teams still kind of waiting for them to prove it to me. They're past the prove it stage. Everything I've said about the Atlanta Braves and not completely believing in them, you can uh, you can throw that away. You can flush it down the toilet. You can do whatever you want to do with it. The Braves are a legit good team, and you know we talk a lot about the Dodgers as being the best team in the National League. I think they are the best team in the National League by a wide margin. And then I think you take that next tier of teams, which includes the Milwaukee Brewers, and you can kind of throw them all in there together. But if you're going to pick a kind of a best of the rest, 
the Braves might be that team. They're really good. They're young. They've got some guys having really nice seasons. They're a fun team to watch, too. I don't know about you. I don't know how much time you spend watching other teams playing. With what I do, it's tough because I'm watching the Brewers on almost an every single night basis. But when I do get the opportunity, if there's some day games going on when uh, the Brewers play at night, if the Brewers have an off day and I get a chance to watch a little baseball, the Braves are a fun team to watch. They really are. So uh, that's going to be a tough series coming up on Monday, Tuesday, and my thanks to uh, Adam Rigg for uh, joining us here on the podcast. Enjoy the All-Star break. Uh, we look forward to uh, being back with you next weekend as we kind of go back into our normal format of what we normally do here on the podcast. But thanks for being tuned in this week. We look forward to talking to you next week for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.